I'm going to read something from uh, Dr. C. Baxter Kruger, something really familiar to us, and then we'll, we'll jump in. I'm going to end up in Hebrews 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you got a minute to do so. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to ask for your minds today and your, your brains. And, uh, and if y'all have checked out so far, check back in. It's time. Um, I'll tag you back in. NBA playoffs are going on right now, right? Isn't that happening? Yeah, perfect. Good analogy. All right. Here we go. Let me read this, and then uh, we'll, we'll jump right in. Uh, C. Baxter Kruger says, It was not the fall of Adam, therefore, that set God's agenda. It was not the fall of Adam. Sorry, I'm getting a little feedback, and that's going to drive me crazy. Uh, y'all pause for just a second. Pause for just a second. Somebody need to silent their phone? Just kidding. All right. Here we go, here we go, devil's a liar. Uh, there we go. Hey, check. Much better. I'll just leave that live right there just in case. All right, here we go. It was not the fall of Adam, therefore, that set God's agenda. It was, listen to this, it was the decision to share the great dance with us through Jesus. Adam's plunge certainly threatened God's dreams for us, but that threat had been anticipated and already strategically overcome in the predestination of the incarnation. Let me start over because y'all, y'all already checked out. I, I just feel it. Listen, listen. It was not the fall of Adam that set God's agenda. Uh-oh. Like, you know, y'all hear that? It was not the fall of Adam that set God's agenda. It was God's decision to share the great dance, Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, with us through Jesus. Adam's plunge certainly threatened God's dreams for us, but that threat had been anticipated and already strategically overcome in the predestination of the incarnation or in the predestination of Jesus. Jesus Christ did not become human to fix the fall. He became human to accomplish the eternal purpose of our adoption. And in order to bring our adoption to pass, the fall had to be canceled, called to a halt, and undone. That, that, I feel electricity in my bones reading that. You hear that? Jesus Christ did not become human to fix the fall. He became human to accomplish the eternal purpose of our adoption. But in order to bring our adoption to pass, the fall had to be called to a halt, canceled, and undone. The catastrophe of Adam certainly made the road of incarnation and thus our adoption one of pain and suffering and death, but it did, listen, but it did not create its necessity. The catastrophe of Adam certainly made the road of incarnation. Incarnation, if you don't know what that means, Jesus, the Son, becoming flesh, dwelled among us. The catastrophe of Adam certainly made that road, thus our adoption, one of pain and suffering and death. But just to be clear, it did not create its necessity. Jesus, listen, is not a footnote to Adam and his fall. The fall, and indeed creation itself, is a footnote to the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. That Lord. <laughs> I, might, I might in just a second. I really might. Okay? If there's one thing you should know from the past year, it's that what happened in Jesus was much more than we ever dreamed, but it was not like anything most of us were probably told. But I contend that it's not only much more than we used to think, it's much more than we even currently think. So today, I've been calling it this, we're going to start chapter 2 of learning the love of God and atonement. So here's the question. I've got to bring my whiteboard over here. Y'all not going to understand this. Here's my question today. I want you to think about. You ready? I told y'all to turn on your brains. Here we go. Just go ahead and move that bad boy. All right. Made it longer than I thought on it, though. Here's the question. 
Where do all things exist in? Jesus. Okay, so let me write that down. Uh, good job, everybody. Jesus is where all things exist. Now, I'm going to ask you, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we sure? Y'all solid on that answer? Okay. Awesome. That's it. That's it. Now, I want you to remember this. All things exist in Jesus. This is what Colossians 1.17 says. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, consist, and find their proper place or exist in him. John 1.3, all things came into existence through him, and apart from him, nothing exists that has existed. Okay? Hebrews 1.3, he, the Son, holds the universe together. That's what it says. So there's no denying that all things exist and have their being in the Son. What does that mean? It means that God created through and in the reality of the Son. That's what that means. Our existence is both because of the Son's existence and in the Son's existence. If it doesn't make sense, that's okay. Um, you'll think about it later. Our existence is both because of the Son's existence and within the Son's existence. So what defines your and my existence? The Son, Jesus. Thank you, Evan. What defines our future? The Son or what you do? <laughs> right? Okay, okay, okay. We've made salvation the thing that determines our identity, and yet our identity has been determined before we were in our mother's womb. The word identity comes from the Latin word idem, or idem, which means same. Identity comes from the Latin word, which means same. So salvation is about how much of your identity that you actually live in. Good? See, the further I go into this, y'all are like, ah a little less good than I was before. That's okay. That's okay. That's what I'm here to pastor you, which means I'm here to teach you truth. I'm not here to uh, tell you that everything you believe is, is right. All right. So, um, <laughs> see, I've been gone for a week, so I got a little edgy on me. That's all right. Identity comes from same. Your identity means you are the same as where you originated from. Chapter one of the book I'm writing. Your identity is where you came from. Who did you come from, or who were you created in and through? The Son. So your identity is defined only by the Son. What you do does not determine your identity. It determines how much of your identity bleeds through you. That's a big difference, right? Right? So what you do does not change your identity. Your identity is just simply who you come from. That's it. But what you do determines how much of who you really are you live in. So if I'm an NFL football player, right, and I'm super talented at wide receiver because it's all I ever used to want to do, and I used to is very bold letters, okay? If I'm an NFL football player, but I decide tomorrow I'm going to join the NBA, most NFL football players are very athletic and stink at basketball, right? Okay? So... If I go to the NBA and I try to make it in the NBA, I'm probably going to fail because I'm not an NBA basketball player. I'm an NFL football player, right? So it doesn't change who I am, where I am. It simply changes how much of who I am bleeds through what I do. Okay. So if you repeated a prayer, but live the rest of your life in self-hate and addiction and depression and insecurity and in doubt, etc., were you biblically saved? I'm going to explain this. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Do you see my point? I, I did that on purpose, right? Because we say, if you repeat a prayer... You're saved, and then we'll go the rest of our lives waiting for heaven when salvation, A, was accomplished at the cross for us, and B, is what makes you whole now. Salvation is present, not when you die. 
You know what I'm saying? So we'll say people are saved because they're, they repeated a prayer, and then they'll live the rest of their life broken, even though Jesus made them completely whole. You see what I'm saying? We would say that person's saved because they determine where they'll be when they die. That is not the meaning of sozo, which is the Greek word that we get salvation from. Sozo means wholeness. It has to do with quality, not destination. So the primary reason you believing in Jesus leads to your salvation is Jesus is your identity. So Jesus is who you are and who you are in. Believing in Jesus is simultaneously believing in your rightful identity. Do you see what I'm saying? So I don't believe in Jesus so that I can be in heaven when I die. I believe in Jesus because Jesus is who I really am. Okay. Jesus is who you are and who you're in. Believing in Jesus is simultaneously believing in your rightful identity. So the way you live whole or holy who you are, is to believe and follow Jesus who you're made in through and for. And that's not rejecting a destination. That's not saying you're not going to go to heaven or nothing like that. That's not what it's saying. However, it's saying Western evangelical baptism in the gospel according to Plato has left us broken, living with a hope of escaping to another place where we can finally be whole. No, you are home, you are in Christ, you are whole, and you are free now if you'll just believe it. This is a little side note. It's going to make some people uncomfortable. That's okay. Gehenna is one, of the, is one of the Greek words translated as hell in the New Testament. It was a trash dump in Israel. So let me say it like this. It is hell to live in the trash dump when you have access to God life. That was just fun. All right, all right. Can't wait to hear the emails on that one. Actually, I got somebody you can send emails to pretty soon. We're just, we just hired, so that's awesome. <laughs> um, so, so, so. Here's the question. Here's the question. Y'all still believe this? Here's my question. If all things exist and are held together in the sun, where were all things when the sun took on a human body? Hmm. 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 Right? Just think, think about this. Think about, see, you never thought about this before, right? The sun is where all things reside. And the Son steps into our creation, His creation, but the one He gave us, steps into it, takes on flesh, while at the same time, all things that He is in actually exist in Him. Are y'all okay? Y'all okay? Right, see, I told you, the gospel is way more than y'all thought. Let me, let me read St. Athanasius, if I can find it. St. Athanasius, John the Beloved, who wrote the Gospel of John, his spiritual grandson. Um, this was written about 100, 130 so A.D. Um, listen to what he says. He says, For he, Jesus, was not enclosed, enclosed in the body, nor was he in the body, but not elsewhere. Nor while he moved that body was the universe left void of his activity and providence. But what is most marvelous, being the word, he was not contained by anyone, but rather himself contained everything. And as being in all creation, he is the essence outside of everything, but inside everything by his own power, arranging everything and unfolding his own providence in everything to all things and giving life to each thing and to all things together containing the universe and not being contained, but being holy and in every respect in his own father alone. Oh, that's a lot. So also, being in the human body and himself giving it life, he properly gives life to the universe also and was both in everything and outside of everything. And being made known from the body through the works, he was not unseen even from the working of the universe. What does Athanasius say? Let me read this last verse. 
or last uh, sentence. Therefore, he himself did not suffer when the virgin gave birth, nor by being in the body was he defiled, listen, but rather he sanctified the body also, nor being in all things does he partake of all, but rather everything bore life and was nourished by him. What is Athanasius saying? Athanasius is trying to get us to see that this is how things existed. This is all things. Oh, that was awful. And this is Jesus. Okay? Circles Jesus in him is all things. This is, the, this is the craziness of the incarnation. It wasn't just that Jesus said, I'm going to take on some flesh and I'm going to go to the cross. In order, I want you to, in order for Jesus to step into this, not only did the Son have to take on flesh, but all things in the Son had to take on flesh as well. So it wasn't just that the Father said to the Son, all right, I want you to go down there, I want you to take on flesh, I want you to die on the cross to fix Adam's fall so that I can give you the wrath instead of them the wrath so that I can get the blood that I need and you can come back to me and then I'll give the rest of them the blood because they don't repeat a prayer. No. The Godhead... So, 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 so a couple of things I want you to think about. Number one, all of creation could have been in the Father or the Spirit equally as it could have been in the Son. So there was a specific divine decision that said all things will be made through the word Jesus. Knowing that that same son would one day step into his own creation and die not only in the creation, not only on behalf of the creation, but you ready? As the creation. Why? Because God arranged the whole thing so that you and I and the cosmos are within the Son so that when the Son comes in the incarnation, every single thing that He does, He not only does as the Son in a body, but He does as everything in the Son. <laughs> so this is what the incarnation is. Some of y'all teachers can write way better than me on the whiteboard. That's okay. I'm trying. Don't judge me. So, thank you. Thank you. Do you see this? This is what happens in the incarnation. Now, how do we, was well, ignorance, but how do we have the guts to say that Jesus came as someone other than us, but represented us because he was in the flesh and went to a cross and died something that we deserved. He died on my cross, that's what we say. I don't believe that, but he died on my cross. And when he died, he rose again, and he gave us a repeated prayer that you can't find in Scripture, but brother, it's the right thing. And he gave us a repeated prayer to pray so that when we pray, we can attach ourselves to Jesus. There's one problem. You exist in Jesus. Nothing exists apart from Jesus. So to make us capable of doing something other than Jesus, to separate us from Jesus, is now preaching a gospel you cannot find in Scripture. So either you have to attach all things created in Christ, or you have to throw the whole story out. And see, and we've built an entire system, an entire religious system that says, here's Jesus, here's you, and you've got to spend the rest of your life doing everything you can to cross the chasm between Jesus and you. That means you don't exist. That means you're a lie, right? Now, we call Satan the father of lies. So, does it make sense to you and me that the lie that would come into the church has not, has not sinned, okay? That's, that's all a fruit of it. But the real lie that's come into the church is the lie that says you and Jesus are separate and you've got to do something in order to join with him. So we spend the rest of our lives burning out trying to do something that, guess what, you were born with. 
So we'll spend our entire lives like a ping pong. You remember that thing in the Windows, what, like 98, when the screensaver would come on, and then you'd have that thing just like bouncing, right? Uh, from the off, yeah, if you've seen the office, and it's like trying to hit the corner, and it never quite does. You know that? You remember that? That's exactly what 99% of the church is. They're bouncing around. They're in Windows 98. Yep. Ah. Actually, there are a lot of churches still using Windows 98. That's okay. Um, and King James only as well. But God bless them. Blind as a bat, but that's all right. So they're, how much is bouncing around in here? Thinking if I just do this, 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 when I die, he'll say, well, well done. Here's the thing. Thanks, Will. Here's the thing. Ready? When, listen. When the Father speaks over the Son and says, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased, he doesn't just speak it to the Son, he speaks it to the things residing in the Son, which is you and I and all of creation. So we're not waiting for a day when we're going to stand before the Lord. He's going to say, you either did great, good and faithful servant, or you did awful, banished. You know what I'm saying? No. What we need to start doing is living in the fact that you were in Christ when he was reconciling the world back to himself. Do you, the word, do you know what, recon, Lord, I'm chasing, I'm off. Do you know what recon, reconcile? The, Paul, Paul says that they were given the ministry of reconciliation to preach the message of being reconciled to God. Reconciled. Being, in fact, let me use this word, actually. Let me use the word atone. The word atonement means to be back one. You can break it at one meant, right? Scott theologians hate when people do what I just did, but it fits, all right? You know what I'm saying? I'm writing a book right now, and it's called At One. But um, anyway, the atonement, when Jesus goes to the cross and he's dying, as C. Baxter Kruger said, as we've talked about for the past year, Jesus was not hanging on a cross in response to Adam's fall. Do you know? If we believe that the cross was God's wrath against sin in the way that Western evangelicalism thinks that the wrath works, I think the wrath is a great thing. Okay? We believe the wrath is the anger and fury of God. No, the wrath of God is the love of God. Okay? But that Jesus absorbed all of the fury of God on the cross. Here's one problem. Number one, that means God and the Son are different. If God is furious, the Father, that means if you believe the Trinity, which you're, if, you're, if you're a Christian, you believe the Trinity, right? If you believe in the Trinity and the Father's angry, the Son has to be as angry as the Father. Is that, y'all, is that too much? Right? Okay. So, the law, let me help you. The law of God, that came from God. The law of God said, if a woman is caught in the act of adultery, she is to die. That, that's, that's the law of uh, this, the Old Testament. So, Jesus comes, same God, Woman's caught in the act of adultery. They throw her out. He bends down, gets on her level, and says, where are your accusers? I don't see any. I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Here's one. Says, That's an amazing story. Praise God. Jesus. There's one, there's one huge problem with this story. Jesus had to break the law of God in order to do that. And we would say, well, Jesus was righteous. That has nothing to do with what the law said to do with the adulterous woman. So, so we have a big problem. Either the Father in the Old Testament is like Jesus revealed in the New Testament, or Jesus in the New Testament has to be like the Father in the Old Testament, but they cannot be different. If they are, you believe in multiple different gods, and if you believe in multiple different gods, you have something other than Christianity. Christianity hinges on the Trinity. If the Trinity were to ever be proven false, Christianity should crumble to the ground. That it should so hinge on the Trinity. Now, there's a problem with believing that Jesus was absorbing the fury of the Father. 
Paul says that the fullness of the Godhead was in Christ as well as the fullness of creation was in Christ. Think about that. God was pleased, Paul says in Colossians, God was pleased to have the fullness of deity in him. Father, Son, and Spirit is in the body. At the same time in the body is all things created in, through, and for that very Son that's in the body. So in Jesus, you have one being where the fullness of God and the fullness of creation are at one. That's why Adam's fall did not set the agenda for God. God's agenda all along was you and him together as one. That was the agenda. So Jesus was always going to take on flesh to bring man and God fully together at one in himself. So Adam's fall comes in not as something God has to respond to, but as something God also has to finish in order to do what he was going to do all along. Are y'all good? Are y'all good? Y'all good. So, two things about the incarnation. Number one, the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh, is proof that humans have the capacity to contain the fullness of God within. I thought y'all were going to be excited about that one. That's all right. The incarnation is proof that you and I have the capacity to contain not just a portion, not just a measure, but the fullness of God within. That's why the New Testament calls us a temple for God, because God dwells within. So, Jesus comes to prove to us our capacity, number one, and number two, Jesus did what he did as both the Son and as all things, for all things were contained in God, in the Son, even while God the Son humbled himself within his own creation to contain himself to a human body. Jesus did not lay down his deity to be human. Right? Jesus did not lay down being God in order to be human. He simply expressed his deity as human. Y'all won't get this at a seminary. You know what I'm saying? So, am I right, Isaiah? Am I right? Isaiah just graduated from one. How could this be possible unless humans were created capable of containing the fullness of deity? That's what it says. Let us make man in our image and likeness. Mankind was created in order to contain all of who God is. Now, here's the thing. Why did God create mankind like that? Because ultimately there would come a day when God would enter into the mankind that he made in his own image and likeness in order to bring mankind back to where it always was, which is in Christ. So for us in Acts 2, I'm I'm actually going to read Hebrews, I promise. For us, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit falls, it's not just to make people bilingual. It's not just to make people fall out in the Spirit. That stuff's amazing. When the Holy Spirit falls, it is the finishing exclamation mark on what Jesus had just done. Do you know what I'm saying? Let me ask. All right, all right, all right. I need more more room. It's the most workout I've done in a week. All right. Okay, here's, here's how the Trinity works. You ready? Father, Son, uh, Spirit. I've started using the word breath because Spirit has a weird connotation now because we've done so much weird stuff with it. But anyway, Father, Son, Spirit, completely one. Okay? Completely one expressed in three, but completely one. Now, we, let me say it like this. This is 100% God. But here's how, God, here's how Trinity math works. 
how much, what percentage of the sun is God? 100%. So the way Trinity works is 100% plus 100% plus 100% equals 100%. Now, the Son is 100% God. The Father, 100% God. The Spirit, 100% God. So when Acts 2 happens and the Spirit falls and fills everybody in this upper room, what is filling everybody in the upper room is not just 33% of God. It's not just one expression of God. It's the fullness of God expressed by His Spirit in you and I. Do you, y'all, you see what I'm saying? Right? So, for you and I to believe that we are still in chains by our sin and by our past and by the culture around us and by all this other junk is to believe that who we really are, which is fully God, fully man, who we really are is insufficient compared to the culture that Jesus actually not only finished, but is also contained in Christ. See, when I'm gone a week, my brain starts going. Let me, let me read Hebrews. Hebrews 2, I'm going to start at verse 5. I'm going to read in the Passion Translation because the NIV is dry as a bone on this. So here we go. Here we go. Hebrews 2, verse 5. For God will not place the coming world of which we speak, which is not heaven, by the way, new creation, under the government of angels. But scriptures affirm, this is quoting Psalms, What is man that you would even think of him or care about Adam's race? You made him lower than God. If yours says angels, that's wrong. It's Elohim, which is God. You made him lower than God for a little while. You placed your glory and honor upon his head as a crown, and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, for you have placed everything under his authority. This means that God has left nothing outside the control, in the Greek is, of them. Even if presently we have yet to see this accomplished. But we see Jesus, who as a man lived a short time lower than the angels, or, or lower than Elohim, the same, same phrase should be, and has now been crowned with glorious honor because of what he suffered in his death. For it was God's grace that he experienced death's bitterness on behalf of everyone. It was God's grace that he experienced death's bitterness on behalf of anyone. Not God's fury, not God's murder. For now, verse 10, he towers above all creation, for all things exist through him and for him, and that God made him pioneer of our salvation, perfect through his sufferings, for this is how he brings many. The word right there is, could be translated many or it could be all. He brings all sons and daughters to share in his glory. Verse 11, Jesus the Holy One makes us holy. And as sons and daughters, we now belong to the same Father, so he is not ashamed or embarrassed to introduce us as his brothers and sisters. For he says, I will reveal who you really are to my brothers and sisters, and I will glorify you with praises in the midst of the congregation. And my confidence rests in God alone. And again, he says, here I am, one with the children Yahweh has given me. Last few verses. Since all his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the torment of death or to the tormenting dread of death. Last two. For it is clear he didn't do this for the angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham. This is writing to a primarily Hebrew audience. This is why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. He made us his brothers and sisters and became our merciful and faithful king priest before God. As the one who removed our sin, not sins, the Greek is singular, sin, 
as the one who removed our sin to make us one with him. He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. Amazing. I want you to see what this says. In verse um, 12, in verse 12, this is, this is a quote taken from Psalm 22. He says, I will reveal who you really are to my brothers and sisters. I will reveal who you really are. How many of you were taught that the reason Jesus came was to reveal who the Father really was, and in revealing who the Father really was would actually reveal who you really are? How many, how many of you were taught that? No, 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 no. We were taught Jesus came to deal with sin. Sure, of course, Jesus dealt with sin. And I'm like, well, brother, it sounds like you're making real light of that. I am making light of it in the sense that Jesus did not come to primarily or even secondarily deal with sin. He came and he had to deal with sin in order to do what he really came to do. So if you're going to drive to Florida to go on vacation, you're going to have to unfortunately right now pay for gas. You know what I mean? To what? And you have to drive through Georgia. Right. But you know what I'm saying? You're going to have to pay $80 a gallon. So that's an exaggeration, but Lord, if it if it ever got to that, we're all getting Teslas. Um, <laughs> I wonder if we could get a write-off as a church buyer by Teslas. Um, I'm, that's a joke. That's a joke. We're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> Lord, um, if you go to Florida, you've got to fill up your, your gas tank, right? How many of you know that the primary reason you get in your car and drive is not to go fill up your gas tank, is to go to Florida. But one of the things that you have to do in order to do what you really are out to do is fill up your gas tank in order to get there. So Jesus came to reveal who the Father was and who you and I are, and one of the things he had to do on the way to do what he really wanted to do was fix sin. That doesn't mean what Jesus did was primarily fix sin, so now we better live out of sin. No, it means Jesus came to end sin. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Jesus came to deal with sin. Here's another question. Did Jesus fail? So you and I are living, well, not you and I, anybody else. We're living enslaved to things that we also believe Jesus dealt with. So, so, so a lot of our issues is simply a matter of us sitting down and saying, do I believe Jesus has dealt with this or do I not? But if you do, you can be free because it has no more power. That, that easy. It's that easy. And we'll go through 80-step programs to try to be free from things that actually have no power to hold us in bondage. If we're in bondage to those things, it's because we are taking the chains and we're putting them on our arms and we're locking ourselves in a jail cell that is wide open for you to run right out of whenever you want to because there's no more jailer. There's no more prison guards. There's no more person that's holding you in there. It's just you. Which is like, well, man, that sounds like, praise God. Because if you're the ones that put the chains on, you're the ones that can just take them off. But, but we, we've got to start seeing the cross of Jesus Christ as fully God, fully creation, something happening on the cross that is totality. Jesus came, John 3, 17. Jesus came, okay, not to condemn the world, but that through him the world would be sozoed or made whole. How does, this, how, does this, how does this completely change this? All right. For God so loved, agape, preferred, preferred the world that he gave his only son, okay? That whoever, the word pistis, trust in what God has given them, the only son, shall not expire, is the Greek, but have eternal God life. Matt taught this last week. The word eternal is not number of days. Who cares? I mean, let's be real. Like, if you're, if you're in bondage, if you're locked up, if you're living the life that most of us are living, who cares how many days you live? That, that means absolutely nothing. You need to be free. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to know that you're going to live forever. You need to know that you're whole. And your wholeness will produce quantity. Quantity won't produce quality, 
But quality will absolutely produce the right quantity. Matt taught this last week, though. Eternal life is not about the number of days of your life, even though that is absolutely the case. You'll live forever. You'll live an endless number of days. Praise God. That, but is that, is that what we're living for? No. Eternal life is now. It's a quality. The word eternal, let me, Lord, let me look this up. Let me look this up. Let me read a, let me read a verse to you guys real quick. I'm just flying by the, by the seat of my pants right now, so y'all just, y'all just hang with me. Y'all good? Okay, okay. If it doesn't load, devil's a liar. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me pull this up real fast, and I, I hope I still have it on, on my uh, notes. In, uh, in Deuteronomy, I won't even look it up. In, I can quote it. In Deuteronomy, this is what it said about God. It says, the eternal God will be your refuge. And that's one of countless times in the Old Testament where eternal is placed almost as a name or an identity of who God is. So to say you and I have eternal life is to say you and I have God life. Outside of time, where God is, that zoe. The word zoe is not just life. The word zoe is the fullness of life. It's fully illuminated life. So, for God so preferred the world, which is the cosmos, for God so preferred his creation that he gave his son that whoever trusts in what he has given them through the son shall not experience life apart from God life, but shall instead experience God life. That's what John writes, quoting Jesus, he writes, perish in contrast to eternal. So he's saying, if you live in Christ, you'll experience God life, which is eternal life. If you don't choose to live within the life of Christ, you're going to perish. You're going to experience what it is to not live in God life. God life is the only life. Okay? I know this is a lot. God life is the only life. If you're not living God life, what are you living? death. So you begin to live in expiration, which is death. You see what I'm saying? So you see what John 3.16 is saying? Not what we thought. John 3.17, right after that, says this, God did not send his son into the cosmos to condemn it, but that through him he would save it, which is sozo, which is not send it to heaven, is to make it whole. God did not send his son into the cosmos to condemn the cosmos, but that through him the cosmos would be made whole again. Now, here. So we have a whole group of people that every time there's a blood moon, me and Matt joke about this all the time. So, this is, you know, every time there's a blood moon, every time Russia invades Ukraine or starts another territory, every time gas prices soar, every time a law is passed, they start getting excited because they believe the blessed rapture's coming. Dear God, you know what I'm saying? Like, pray, praise God, praise God, gas prices are sore. We're going to pray about it, but we're actually real excited about it. People are getting murdered, but we're kind of excited about it because Jesus is, is coming back. Right? You know what I'm saying? How many, I, I promise you right now, go home. No, don't do this. I was about to say, go home and look up how all the messages preached today. Most of them would be what I just did. Full integrity. You know what I'm saying? Pray, praise the Lord. No, here's the gospel, is that you have been made who you are. You have been reminded that the fullness of God not only is in Jesus, but you're in Jesus, which means the fullness of God is in you because you're in Jesus where the fullness of God is within as well. In you, God and humanity is made one. The cross was so that we could beat the snot out of God so that as he's on the cross being beat, not by God, but by us, as he's on the cross and as he's dying, he can look over his creation and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but it's finished. And he breathes his last breath, and he dies. If, if, if that is what happens in the incarnation, let me ask you, what happens in the resurrection? In Christ, all, Paul says this, all have died. And in Christ, all have been raised to life. Why? 
Because when Jesus died, he died as everything, and that means when he rose, he rose as everything. That means the rightful inheritance of every created thing is resurrection life. The identity of every created thing is resurrection life. For you and I to live anything short of resurrection life is hell. There's plenty of people living in hell right now, fully alive. And it's, listen, and it's, it's not primarily because they're going out and partying. It's primarily because they don't believe that who God says they are, they really are. God doesn't just call you good. He doesn't call you what Calvin said, which is snow-covered dung. You know what I mean? He doesn't call you just a sinner saved by grace, by God. On my, on my journey home. Home. Welcome home. You remember that show, you remember that show uh, with uh, Ty, was it, was it the uh, Stream Home Makeover? You remember that show? Yeah, and it happened, none of y'all remember it because y'all are young. So um, anyway, but they would come home and they would, every time they would say like, welcome home and then whatever family. So yeah, do y'all remember that? Yeah, so, so every, time, every time we go home and Veda's out doing something or whatever, I'll say, welcome home, Veda, and she doesn't understand it. But anyway, so you know what I'm so, so, so this, this, is, this is what we've done. This is the gospel. Jesus is where we are fully at home. So Jesus comes and God says, welcome home, humanity. Welcome home. You know, and then here's what we say. We say, hey, that's awesome. Have a good day. And we go right out and live on the streets when that's our house. Doesn't change the fact that on the deed, your name is at that house. You own that house doesn't change that. It changes the fact that you own that house and you're designed to live in something completely redesigned as it, as it was originally intended to be, and you're living on the streets begging for food. Again, doesn't change. I'm, what I'm not, we, we need to get out of this business of telling people, bro, if you, li if you live like hell, you'll be there one day. Like, Lord, what we need to tell people is you have access to a life that is life to the full, why would you want to live in the slums? You have access to freedom, why would you want to live enslaved? You know what I'm saying? And, and we got, listen, we got a church right now that is in, uh, involved in politics, and I, can I, should I make, sure, 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 sure. So I'm about to be, I'm about, y'all ready for me to be canceled? Y'all about to experience it. You ready? Here I go. Everybody, share this right now. Share this. I'm about to be so canceled, it's not even funny. And I love it. It's my, I, I've already been canceled by a lot of people, but the rapture got me mostly canceled, so, you know. <laughs> Praise God. While they're floating away, I'll be dancing, I'll be dancing with Jesus. See you later, you know. Um, <laughs> it has been shocking to me, and I share this with a few, how many people that... Um, Go to church, have, have been very outspoken supporters of abortion. There it went. Did you hear that? <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Very, very outspoken. Let me, let me bless y'all with a little dad advice. Okay. <clears throat> I'm not be so canceled. It's not even funny. All right. You do, listen, this whole thing, everybody give women a choice. I'm, I'm all for women having a choice. Okay? Okay. You can choose to sleep with people or not. And that, there's your, that's your choice. But if you do and you get pregnant, which is what? happens when you do that that's life that and listen i mean i know i know the argument you know like you know what about you know raping it i mean we're, sure that's we'll deal with that completely different absolutely i agree but for the other 99 percent of the cases you know what i'm saying like and the listen the church has so let babylon define who we are rather than jesus and we've so lived in the slums that we have sat around and let them tell us what we need to believe about murder. 
Have you ever, did you ever think that you would see the day where pastors and people that are super involved at church would be supportive of that? And you know what, it, you know what it's the issue of? I mean, while I'm being canceled. You know what it's the issue of? It's not an issue of reality. That's dumb. It's not, it's, it's an issue of the mind. We have bought into a lie. We bought into a lie. And Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except, why is Jesus saying this? Again, he's not saying this to say, if you're the only way to, to God, to the Father is Jesus. That's true. That's, that is also what he's saying, of course. But, but he, he's, not, he's not saying, unless you believe everything perfectly right, you will not get to, no. He's saying, unless you get to a life that goes through me, you do not have life. Unless you get to a knowledge of the Father that doesn't first go through me, you don't know the Father. That's exactly what many in that day will, will pro- say. I pro- then we prophesy in your name, you'll cast out demons in your name, blah, 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 blah. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, I'll never knew you. Again, is he talking about heaven or hell? everything the Jewish mind did was here and now and present. Everything. That doesn't mean he wasn't talking about heaven or hell. It just means primarily he was talking about a truth now. And he's speaking this to a culture that was full of religious people that were prophesying and casting out demons. That was a normal thing then. All the other religions were doing that too, by the way. That, that's like, you know how today it's really odd to find somebody that's praying for the sick or find, really odd to find somebody that's... Uh, uh, prophesying. That's weird. That's odd. Uh, not to us, but like for, for the culture. In that day, that's everybody's doing that. In the temples with Baal, with all these other foreign gods, with the Greeks, with the Romans, prophecy and um, healing and divine healing and divine, that's all normal. So, so Jesus is not contending with a bunch of people that don't believe in that stuff. He's contending with a bunch of people who believe in it wrongly. So in that, didn't we, pro, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? And he'll say, no, 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 I never knew you. It's not about what you did. It's not about you prophesying and casting out demons and laying hands on the sick. It's about me and you knowing each other. And I know you, but you didn't know me in the intimate way, and therefore I couldn't know you in the intimate way because you didn't let me. This, this is what he's saying. The word know there is the same word that Mary uses when she says, how can this be possible? I've never known a man. Same word. So Jesus is not saying, well, bro, I never knew, I, we never met. What was your name again? No, no, no. He's saying, I, he's, he's saying, I never knew you. That is, you know what I'm saying? N- not, I know exactly who you are. But, but you were so caught up in casting out devils that me and you never got in the, excuse, in, in the bedroom. You know, so, so that we, we, I'm, I'm begging, we have got to not only believe this, we've got, we've got to champion the gospel. Nobody in America, people are meeting in stadiums and they're doing the best they, they're doing the best they know how. People are meeting in stadiums and trying to indoctrinate this generation with the same old evangelical Western American doctrine that says you are crap. But Jesus came, now if you'll do this, you won't be crap anymore. If you'll go to the nations, and if you'll move to Hawaii, and if you'll live off of, of sticks. And some people are called to do that. Some people are absolutely called to do that. That doesn't define who you are. But we're telling this generation that if you don't do that stuff, and you become a doctor instead, and all, or you become a lawyer, or you become an accountant, or you become a CPA, if you do that stuff instead, then you're good. And as long as you have a relationship with God, you're good. But man, we're really looking for people to go to the nations. I'm looking for people to go into the workplace. I'm looking for people to go into every single place that we have influence and access to and bring America back to the Lord before we try to go to other countries and indoctrinate them with the broken American theology that we believe. We're, we, don't, we need to stop sending missionaries to other countries with the message of American political gospel. We're killing the world. We need people from China to come here and show us what the gospel is. We need people to come to us and say, why are y'all stopping after two hours? We would spend three days and sleep in the floor in the presence of God. So y'all got real nervous when I said that, right? 
So I have an announcement to make next week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but one day, one day. But, but you, know what, you know what I'm saying? So, so we're, at a, we're at a crossroads. Let me say it like this. One more. I'm a pastor. I am not an event coordinator, number one, and I'm not your buddy. I want to be your buddy, and I am a lot of your buddies. You know what I mean? And I'm kids and a parent, but I'm your pastor. So here's what that means. That means when you come in here, I'm going to teach you how to live life to the full, which means if there are things in your life that are keeping you from living life to the full, I love you way too much to let you carry those things out of here. You know what I'm saying? So we treat, for example, not we, but like we treat in America, the church, like, it, like it's just, if I, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. You know what I'm saying? And in Ruth, in the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verse 14, uh, one of the rabbis, ancient rabbis, said this about Ruth. Ruth goes to Boaz. Boaz realizes that he, she is with Naomi, and he says to her, you know, I'm going to let you glean my fields. Not only that, I'm going to let you uh, harvest with all the, other, all the other women. Go back and read the story. But as she's sitting there at the table, he offers her bread. Okay? As she's at the table. And one of the rabbis writes in that verse, 2.14, Ruth 2.14, one of the rabbis says about that verse, they say, if Boaz had known that she would be who she was about to be, he would have not only given her the bread, he would have given her the fattened calves. In other words, if you and I could see the value of Jesus's bride, which is the church, we wouldn't just give what we can afford to give up. Boaz was rich. For him to give a piece of bread was nothing for him. That was not a sac- that was nothing. That was going to thrown in the trash. For him to give the fattened calves would have cost him a lot. So, for us in America, we've been taught that the church is something we throw what we got left at. No. The church is something that you give your life for. The church is something you lay down other things in order to be a part of. Not you lay down in order to be part of other things unless you got other things going on. That's me being a pastor. You see what I'm saying? So I could tell you, hey, it's all good. Or I could tell you, we need to get straight. Not not just us. In America, we're going to find ourselves in a church in 20 or 30 years that preaches gay rights, that preaches abortion, that preaches all this other stuff. And I'm not making statements on this stuff, but we're going to find ourselves in a church that preaches that. And you know why? It's going to be because the ones who were full of light treated the church like it was an afterthought, and the afterthought drifted into Babylon. And on the shores of Babylon, we hung up our harps. Mark my words, that's where the church is heading. Unless a group of people can be so full of light that we lose our life to find it, that we take up our cross. This is is all basic entry-level milk stuff. Take up my cross and follow him. What does that mean? For me and my wife, it looked like risking everything we had, including draining my retirement account, in order to start this church. But we've inherited life to the full as a result of it. So you know what I'm saying? That, that's what it means to lay down your cross, to take up your cross, to lay down your life, and follow him. So for you and I, like, like look, tithing. You know what I'm saying? In America, I think, it's, I think the statistic is uh, 4%, maybe. I could be wrong, 9%. It's under 10% of the church tithes. You know what's really odd? The higher up this, on these statistics, the higher up the scale you go as far as income, the lower tithe rate goes. So the more money in America people make, the less they give. That's, that's according to Barnum Institute. The, now, the, do you know the greatest um, percentage of giving of any of the income groups below poverty level? Any group that were asked below poverty level give more than 10%. Right? So, so, so even that, it like, and then we'll, we'll sit around and we'll wonder, well, my God, why am I getting my teeth kicked in? <laughs> you know, right? I just, I feel like a dad today. You know, right? It's because... We have taken who we really are, and we've let Babylon tell us who we really are, 
and Babylon's nothing but a lie. Babylon doesn't know who you are. Babylon doesn't know who he is, right? So we've let Babylon tell us who we are rather than the Son tell us who we are. And the only way we can learn who we really are by way of the Son is his chosen instrument for you and I to know who we really are, which is the church. Paul says in Ephesians, he says that in the church, we will grow to the fullness of the measure of the knowledge of the Son of God. Where? In, in the church. Brother, I, don't, I, I can be church all by myself. You literally can't. Nope. No, 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 no. I don't have church in my living room. No, you can have a quiet time in your living room, but you cannot have church in your living room. The only way for you to have church is to get, to get in the church. You know what I'm saying? With the people. Josh, what's this got to do with anything? Nothing. It just felt good. You know what I'm saying? And absolutely nothing. But, but I just hope you're, we're, we're receiving. Where's Isaiah? You can go ahead. I'm up here. I should have called you up here long ago. We're receiving a gospel that the, whole, the Holy Spirit has reserved for us for such a time as this. A, a gospel for such a time as this. So, so, so why, why am I, like for example, with the abortion thing? Why do I think abortion's wrong? Not because if you have an abortion, you're going to hell. You know what I'm saying? That, <laughs> no, and we're, talking about, we're talking about life to the full. We're not talking about where you go to heaven or hell. Forget that. You know what I'm saying? Like, be, be present. Be here and now. It's not about where you go when you die. It's about how you live while you're alive. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to wait until you die to have eternal life. Is that not ironic? You know what I'm saying? We'll live forever. When? When we die. Huh? You know, is that not the dumb? Like, you know what I'm saying? Lord, no. You have eternal life now. You're in eternal life. You're whole. Let me just, as a pastor, you are a whole. You're exactly who you are supposed to be. You are identified. There is nothing holding you back. Listen, generational curses were broken at the cross. It, so it's not, I, you don't have to fast and pray for 85 years for you to be broken off of generational curses. You just got to believe that you don't have generational curses on your life. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to fast and pray for 87 hours in order for you to be broken free of pornography addiction. You've just got to believe that you're more valuable than the cheapness of pornography. And if you'll buy into your value, you'll never settle for something cheap ever again. You know what I mean? It's like I said, I don't go to the strip club, I don't look at pornography, and I don't cheat on my wife. Do you know why? Not because the law says I can't do that, but because I just love my wife a whole lot. So I'm so fascinated with my wife that I don't even have a taste for anything other than my wife. So that's, that's what we're called. We're called to be so full of the taste of who Jesus is that when the lie comes in to try to call you back out, you don't even have a taste for it anymore. You know what I mean? Like you could say no. This is old stuff. You could say no to the devil and to lies and to evil and to sin. You could say no to it your whole life, and it'll never work. Tried it. You know what I mean? Like, I won't do that. I won't do it. I won't do it ever again. I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. And you, you absolutely will do that. Or you could become so fascinated with the one that you were made for that you even forget to think about the other stuff. One of those is in rest, and one of those is effort, 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 effort that doesn't work. So let me, let me as we y'all close your eyes, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do something really different. As you pray, I just want to read this one more time as you close your eyes. So everybody just picture this. It was not the fall of Adam that set God's agenda. It was the decision to share the great dance with us through Jesus. Adam's plunge certainly threatened God's dream for us, but that threat had been anticipated and already strategically overcome in the predestination of the incarnation. Jesus Christ did not become human to fix the fall. He became human to accomplish the eternal purpose of our adoption. And in order to bring our adoption to pass, the fall had to be called to a halt and undone. 
The catastrophe of Adam certainly made the road of incarnation and thus our adoption one of pain and suffering and death, but it did not create its necessity. Jesus is not a footnote to Adam and his fall. The fall and indeed creation itself is a footnote to the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you this question, and then we're going to pray. Is there anybody in the room that you, and I know we do this a lot, but I'm, I feel this all over me today. Is there anybody in the room that you feel you have settled for a cheap life? You have settled for cheap stuff. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about cheap. You have settled for cheap stuff, and today, you and I both, because I'm making this decision again as well, you and I want to make the decision that, to, as, as for me and my house, from this moment forward, we will not settle for cheap. We will only settle for what is life to the full and of the most value. Anybody in the room that you would say, I've kind of been living like that. Yeah, 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 yep, 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 yep. Awesome. Lord, I pray right now over every single person under the sound of my voice and people listening to this later. I pray that you would give us such a passion and a heart for what is true, what is real, what is tangible, who we are in. We are in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are the head and not the tail, the first, not the last, above and not beneath, the lenders, not the bottom. This is who we are. Why? Because we are in the Messiah, and in the Messiah, He is bringing the creation back to its original design by way of us being convinced of what is real and true and right, our identity, which is image and likeness of God. So this week, I pray that when Babylon comes to us to try to get us to buy into a lie that presents itself as a satisfying moment, when Babylon comes to us to give us something that we crave now, I pray that our taste buds would begin to change to something that is of value. We will not be slaves. I'll just speak this over. You're not a slave. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are not snow-covered dung. You are the brilliance of God expressed in human form. You are the poetry of God expressed uniquely in you. You are what no one could create, what no one could dream up but God himself. It was you that he came to the cross for. It was you that he became man for. It was you that he suffered at the hands of men for so that at the cross he could gaze into time, lock eyes with you and I, and say, I forgive you for doing what you do not know, but who you are for real is now being resurrected, and the other part of you is finished in Jesus' name. So, Father, I pray that anything within us, whether that be sickness, whether that be disease, whether that be oppression, whether that be depression, whether that be anxiety, whether that be worry about the future, whether that be worry about the past, whether that be worry about things that we have questioned in you, doesn't mean we got to have those answers resolved. It just simply means that we are going to so believe that we are who you say we are that we're not going to settle for anything else. Uh, listen, I want us to so believe the gospel of love and the gospel of grace and the gospel of Jesus that anytime somebody comes to us with, a, with another gospel, our guts begin to churn. Get, give us a distaste for any other gospel but the real one. Lord, we love you and honor you in this place. In your name, amen.